Thank you as always for listening to this episode of Fluff and Crunch. And in this episode, Chris and I talk about his planning and his ideas for a pretty ambitious 5th edition fantasy campaign that he and his buddies are working on for 2023. So we talked about, as we do, we talked about setting, we talked about system, we talked about some rules and maybe some story ideas as well, uh, and played off some of the things we've talked about in previous episodes. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. How you doing, Chris? Uh, better than last week. Better than last week. We did not record last week because you were sick. I would have just been coughing all of the, the things, so that's it was easier not to. No, that's, no. that's not fun at all. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a leap and, and guess that you did not do any gaming last week, or you have not done any gaming in the last week? No, I haven't, yes. Yeah, so that partly related to that, also you know, football and other things being on, but no, I have not done any gaming in the last week. How about you? I did. Uh, it looked like initially that I was not going to have um, gaming this last weekend because we had a, a player out and we had we just finished a story. We were going to start a new one. I'm not going to start a new one in Star Trek with you know a third of my players gone. Um, but then a buddy of mine, his group imploded like it did a week ago. Uh, and so you know a week ago I ran the Conan adventure for two guys that are friends of mine. And then this last weekend, I had my friend John, who was actually the guy who I, I spoke with about Twilight 2000 like a year ago. Right. Uh, he came over and uh, joined my other two players who were available. And I had been, you know, we, we've been talking about things to do with the SRD. We keep coming back to a more D&D-like fantasy. I had a combination of a little bit of inspiration, and then I forced myself to work all Saturday afternoon, and I came up with actually what I think is a an interesting marriage of like the OSR vibe and 2D20. Cool. Might seem like a contradiction, but I and 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 based on also on the um, you know, we talked about skills. I yeah. that is what inspired me in part, and my and my idea about the funky relationship between skills and focuses that my my take on that. And um, and we ran it, and I I threw undead at them. I threw kobolds at them, and one of the characters stepped in green slime, which was wonderful, because he's a few years younger than me, and so he had he had come in after you know in like first edition. I think every dungeon was assigned a black pudding, a gray ooze, or a green slime, a trapper, uh, a rust monster like there was there was a certain like yeah. this you have the standard equipment pack for the adventure there's like the standard dungeon uh monster menace pack and there they were in that and so he'd never dealt with green slime as a player before i was like oh, that, oh that's that's just so sad so i'm gonna fix that uh and he ran it, it worked really well so i'm gonna i'm gonna work on that i even have a name for it but i'll, I'll tell you after we're recording because it's secret <laughs> Anyway, um, so we're going to talk about your 5e campaign or the one that you are planning with Brian and Scott uh, for next calendar year. Yes. That is for 2023, because this is probably this this is probably going to drop in 2023. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be for 
for the calendar year. This we're going to talk about your idea, your planning. Um, I'm to assume I mean, obviously this is setting and story, but this is also maybe some rules tweaks. Maybe perhaps could be probably. I know the stuff that I last time I kind of did something which was much more homebrew than using an existing set and there was stuff that I was putting yeah. in. So yeah, I wouldn't. So I yeah, was... we're, we're going to talk about how, and I think this is a, this is a good topic for this show is how are you going to, you're developing a setting and how are you going to tweak the the system to fit the stories that you want to tell? And I know that you mentioned this in a, in a previous episode a little bit. So I am, I'm interested in this. So do tell what is your, what's your elevator pitch? What's the back of the book for the setting? I'll get to that because I'll go to the background of the, the first. Um, yeah, so essentially, I, I think our idea came about a combination of that we we knew that we, I think after we played Strad and we were playing some other stuff, uh, and we were playing that bit of Conan, and I was like, "Oh, mate, you know, maybe we maybe we play some more Five E. We quite, we, you know, we we had a, we we enjoyed playing ha- uh, whatever it is, Curse of Strad. It was good fun. Um, and in fact, of course, we only played Curse of Strad because what we were going to play didn't come out. So last year, after after the Legend of Vox Mac and a cartoon had been on, and Scott and Brian had both watched it, we were like, woo, D&D. Um, and I was listening to Critical Role, and we were going to play the, the Critical Role adventure that was for 5e. But it got delayed here. So whereas you guys got it one month, we I think it came out in the US sort of around the tail end of the TV series. Although it was different characters in a different setting, it was irrelevant. It was still like, you know, it's a Matthew Mercer thing. But here it got delayed for about a month and a half. So we were like, well, we, we're really on to wanting to play D&D, but we didn't, you know, we were not going to just wait a month. So we played Stride, but we enjoyed that. Anyway, so we're talking about May, you know, we've been thinking of doing that. I was still wanting to play League of Legends and, and so on. And then, then obviously, then they dropped the trailer for the new Dungeons and Dragons film, which they announced would be like out in March. And so we're like, huh, okay. And then a month or so after that, because we were thinking like, oh, maybe we want to play. When they announced that trailer straight away, we were all like, let's play D&D. We really want to play it. Because like, you, if you watch the trailer, it's funny because you just talked about green slime and stuff. You know, that trailer has got, you know, like a gelatinous cube and a displacer beast and a mimic. And it's like... Albert. It's Actually, pro- have you yeah. seen the latest one? That, I have, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's properly old school D&D. It's like the, they've gone back to the monster manual and go, right, what makes something D&D? Well, it's, it's the mixture of classes and races and it's these these characters now they have a, it seems like it's also set in forgotten realms as well um but you know essentially forgotten realms is such a generic setting it's like how would you even know and like you know if you don't know you'd be going it's the D world um but so initially we saw that train like we really want to play D and they thought well, wait, no, wait a minute if we start playing now yeah so we kind of thought no that's stupid if we just if we play now what will happen is we'll play because of a trailer and then we'll want to play again next year anyway and then a bit after having had thought that we heard that the second series of Vox Machina was also going to drop early next year. So that'll be January. So oh, this is great. So if we've got January, we'll want to be playing D&D because there's D&D cartoon on. And then maybe we'll start losing interest as much. But then the D&D film will come out. We'll want, we'll want to keep on playing D&D. And so, you know, maybe it won't go the whole year, but there'll be impetus of other things keeping us wanting to play D&D as well as just, you know, oh, there's a new book or just, you know, we feel like it or whatever. Um, so that was that was the background then so the idea for my campaign though um initially came i thought right if i'm going to be dming for a sizable amount of time i know i'm going to get bored either i'm going to get bored or i'm going to want to do something different so i said i came up with this idea which i pitched to the guys and they liked it that essentially we have multiple characters and then we actually do that as multiple dms 
so that rather than just having I'm going to be the only DM and they're going to, because we only have two players. We only have two players. You, you're going to run out of things. We're going to get bored in terms of, it's always the same two characters and therefore they can only do this one little kind of our campaign. Uh, and it's going to be really difficult to mix it up and be more interesting. So I said to them, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we each come up with some characters? You know, we'll come up with some characters we really want to play and then we'll stick these characters together and so, like, if I, me and Brian have a character, pair of characters, then Scott will GM those characters. And, you know, Scott and Brian have come up with some characters, and then I'll GM that pair of characters. And then, ideally, we could run it in the same world. Now, whether those characters ever meet or even go into similar parts of the world, we can worry about more down the line. <clears throat> it's more of a case of thinking. And I think I then expanded on that when you were... We were talking about, like, things to do with big campaigns or different party size and stuff, and I was thinking... Oh, it was also to do with the, uh, what was the thing we did with Star Trek? Oh, the supporting characters. And when we talked about, like we mentioned there, kind of thinking, you know, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, how you have, there's multiple character arcs. You know, particularly something like Game of Thrones where certain characters don't even meet each other for multiple series. I'm just, you know, spitballing. But there are definitely characters in Game of Thrones who, you know, if you, if you drew on a map where they went, some characters never, ever, you know, right. Jon Snow at no point sort of comes down to King's Landing, but he's got a story going. Daenerys has got a story which happens point. the vast majority in another part of the thing. And all these stories are happening in the same world at the same time, but none of them intersect until, for some characters, much later on. Um, and so I thought, well, actually, yeah, that, let, let's just tell a bigger story. We can have two characters that are maybe just doing classic dungeon crawling and two other characters could be doing more of an urban thing and two other characters doing something like properly epic. Um, but we can start off with these different characters uh, in, in terms of like how we're doing that. And that was my initial pitch to the guys. That's all I said to them. We didn't have a world or anything. And we so they said like, yeah, that's cool. So there's that's my elevator pitch for the the campaign idea. I can get onto the world in a minute, but I'll stop there so you can interject. Uh, this is interesting. First off, I think this is really interesting. Is your inclination though from the get-go that there will be story overlap or story um uh influence intersection whatever you want to call it because like, I mean, what this almost sounds like this sounds like a living campaign in a way mm. like a living campaign that you're running within your own group by virtue of moving gms and changing characters but you could still operate in the same you're going to operate in the same world and you're going to operate within the same story and have some connections is that what are you leaning toward the assumption that that will happen instead of just this stuff's going on in the same world and and it, that's kind of interesting? I think we probably haven't got that far into that because having having decided yes we were going to do that, then we were kind of just doing some sort of a bit more world building. We had a session called doing a world building session, and then we had a session kind of coming up which characters we were interested in playing which we were going to do for like homework and then and then no one did that to be fair scott who normally never does anything out of session he did he came up with some character ideas and me and brian didn't um and then that was as far as we got and then we didn't meet last week so now we've had a week where we didn't meet so we're not i'm not mm -hmm. sure okay i i kind of think I, I i think our initial idea is like we'll just see how it goes like you know we'll put we'll have some, we know some things are in the world in the background and we need some more, we need another episode, uh, another meeting of just like kind of thinking, right, let's put some plot lines into here um, because we haven't really got that far down. At the moment we have like, we know like what our character class and race ideas are. We haven't, you know, started anything at all. And we have a vague idea about the world, um, but that's kind of as far as we've 
got to. I mean, a lot of the moment, it's ideas. There's very little concrete. Do you want um, Do you want questions or do you want uh, uh, ill, uh, poorly examined uh, thoughts as well? Either I said I'll go into the world in a minute because okay. there's, there's stuff I can talk about for the world thing, but I think actually I could do with that's probably the notes for that wrong paper, which I got where it is. Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. All right. That that's helpful. So, what is your incredibly ill-formed uh, idea for the world as of yet? So we actually came up with this a while ago. Um, I think it was, it was probably during COVID. And there was a point where we started. We. St- started a, a, a like a dm we started doing world building for a dnd thing we're like right let's we're going to play some dnd um well let's we'll do a homebrew thing we have the time and we just kind of threw a bunch of like art at a i can't remember how we did it i think we used a like a slide because we were all at home and we all had access to computers we couldn't meet each other that kind of thing so we just we were just throwing art off the internet into a, a thing of slides um and then we came up with this idea of sort of this world that's been through multiple apocalypses which we've now expanded on further I'm pretty sure I haven't copied this onto, I haven't written this up and it's all on paper somewhere. Um, but it's the, the, the main thing would be that a lot of this is very, very similar to, we, we wanted stuff where we could run existing world, real world civilization. So there'd be like a Norse area where it's like, you know, Vikings and they have the Asgard gods. Cause I don't want to make up my own gods. I, I, I like, you know, Thor and I, I want to have the Egyptian gods because I like the Egyptian gods. So we have, you know, Anubis and all that lot. So that there would be, and, and we just you know stick to easy geography because it's fine. So, so wait, we'll have when, a, you, when a, you, you say know. you want to make up your own gods, that means are you? No, gonna, we don't want to make up our own. You gods. don't want to. Okay, so you're just going to no. import pantheons that interest you. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Plus the the those pantheons exist in either the back of the five E or the back of the uh, the back of the PHB or the Dungeon Master guys has the the standard pantheons in. I think they exist um, in my original first edition deities and demigods that has the yeah. Melnabone and Lovecraftian mythos in them. <laughs> so uh there'll be essentially we'll go like you know north is cold and that has that's pretty much norse myth so if there's elves and dwarves well they come from there because that's where elves and dwarves come from in thing and if we go down south it's like desert and then jungle and you know there's animal people because that's that's egyptian myth and stuff and we'll have those things. um and then we'll have a kind of a maybe a greekish area but then the technology gets thrown off a bit but we'll use the you know the greek myths we've got minotaurs and you know not uh, you know, satyrs and all that stuff that comes from them and their gods, Greek gods, because we like Greek gods. Um, and then because I like the Egypt, the, not the Egypt, the uh, more Eastern stuff we'll go with. And we'll just go with a more generic, just like spirit worship. And But then I can have Oni and Kitsune and all the stuff I like from that thing. So, an orig- so we, that was originally kind of what we put together. I had a map where I'd kind of put that stuff together. Um, and... On top of that, we had this idea there'd be multiple multiple apocalypses, and I can't remember the order we did. We we had this thing like there was an age of beasts where the whole land was just covered with big monsters and stuff, and then something wiped them all out. And then there was an age of gods where gods walked the land and something wiped them all out. Um, and we came through it. We had about you know the age of shadow and darkness, and we just kept throwing words at it. And I think we ended up on like we were on the sixth age or something, and it was like the age of magic, which is basically be all these previous ages have happened. Um, and we could have also had like big, an age of technology where there was like mechs and guns, but now it's all lost. Because actually, if you read the, the 5e book, it says that that's what should have happened, that there should be previous civilizations or things which are now lost. Um, and so we'd had this thing where, I don't know, we were on the sixth or the seventh, eight, I can't remember what number it was, the, whatever age that we had got to after thinking of different ways the world had ended and all these things have been it. Now, when we started doing that again this time, we added some extra layers to it because... Partly we went, well, wait a minute, if we wanted to do standard D&D, none of these four settings 
is particularly standard D&D. It's like the north bit and maybe what the south is and what, you know, we'll, we'll just have a Greek area, be a bunch of islands and we'll have the eastern area. But where's our classic medieval style feudal thing? Yeah, where's Western Europe? Like, yeah, where's middle Western to Europe? high so middle going, ages? Yeah, so we're like, right, well, we'll slap that in the middle. And we've literally just called it, it's just called the melting pot. It's just like, this is the area in the middle where we can throw our just standard Western Europe. So if we go that way, it's it's more Eastern leading. If we go that way, it's more Egyptian and that's more Norse. And we also, right, and if we're in a, depending on which of these different time period type things we'd be in, we could play it differently. And then we thought, we don't need time travel. That's weird. So now we've got this bizarre idea of every single time there's an apocalypse, the world branches. So there's still a world where the first apocalypse never happened and it's really like the original one. And there must be a world where the second apocalypse never happened. And so it's still what that setting was like. Um, but in the, the eighth version of the world, it's had these eight different apocalypses, which means if we want to, we can jump through into the other ones where the world will be different. So we go, actually, maybe in our more fa- maybe in our generic D&D fantasy world, I think it's called our Age of Magic, the Greek world, not really there so much. Like it's kind of, we'll massively downplay that. But if we really decide we want to do that, then one of the other ages will have that in. So at one point we were making characters for, we were going to make characters for alternate ages and we were doing this whole cyber fantasy thing. And then it came when we tried to do it, we couldn't actually come up with different characters. It's like every character was a cyber ninja. <laughs> and it was like, oh, uh, let's put all that on the back burner and just play Isn't it cyber. Isn't weird sometimes how you, you have a general idea and you feel that it will make sense, but then once you start trying to put it to paper, it falls apart. Yeah. yeah, it was like we had just like one really good bit of like art with like an Anubis looking guy with like a big revolver. And we're like, yeah, we want that and like a, a mech looking sort of Norse and Greek thing. But when we tried to look any further, we didn't really have a lot and we were really struggling for like what it would actually be like in the world. So we kind of went, right, uh, yeah, let's just, if we want to do cyberpunk, we'll just do cyberpunk and well, maybe we won't worry about that. Um, and so then we just dialed that, well, we'll just, let's just do the fantasy thing um, and we'll, we'll, we'll work with that. And, and essentially, we just picked characters we we like. So I think you know the two of us picked characters that were kind of Eastern lean in. So I think like I don't know. Let's say Scott's GM in. I've got this because you know I'm obsessed with Kitsune with their nine tails and stuff. So I'll have that as a character and probably a sorcerer, and, and someone will be GM in in that part of the world. And then we've got too much more standard assassiny, roguey. Like they can literally just be either more southern or this idea of a, a standard melting pot in the middle, um, which. So I'm, I think I'm running that because that's Scott and Brian's characters. And then we've got two more Norse looking characters, which I can't, someone else will be running that. Cause I think that's me and Brian. So Scott must be running that. Now that was as far as we got, we had three pairs of characters. So we know roughly where in the world, these three pairs of characters will start. We know kind of what they look like. We know what kind of, we've roughly picked classes and sort of races for them, which some are super vague, um, but we've got an idea. It'll be roughly this. Um, and that was that was as far as we've got. That's like, you know, that, that was literally as far. I mean, kind of had this weird sketch of the world. And the, the kind of annoying thing is having drawn this world, it's like, right, we're going to have a big ring around the outside. And then in the middle, there's uh, there's a, like a central hub. And then we've got spokes. And then you've drawn it and gone, oh, we've got a wheel. Uh, and we have multiple ages, right? So we, we have a setting which is essentially geographically the wheel of, time oh, build a chronology someone's someone's already got this name <laughs> so it's completely unintentional and plus it's just the geography it's like you know yeah, wheel yeah. of time is is a metaphorical thing yeah. I, don't, I don't really know much about it so it's not geographical but yeah that was unfortunate um but yeah so that's 
that's kind of what we've got. So beyond that, it is we need more conversations. That's why when you, I said, oh, I could talk to you because then you might think, give us ideas to think about for where we need to go with this. <laughs> Let me just make sure I've got this down. So each GM, the, the current plan is we'll run something set in a different area. To start with, yes. Okay. I'm thinking here, I, okay, I'll just start, I'll just start throwing stuff out. It doesn't have to be in any, any coherent order. So again, it, I think maybe conceptualizing this as a living campaign makes sense because, I mean, that is if you want to run three GMs, same group of people, three different places, but in a related storyline or a storyline that could, you could create a meta plot that would draw them together eventually, yeah. you know, like, like supernatural or like so many of these TV shows where they're episodic, but there's an overarching meta plot that over time supplants the episodic um, approach. And more and more of the episodes are part of this overall um, plot. Maybe you could do something like that, which would, would free up, would free up some GM creativity at the beginning because then you wouldn't have to be sitting there thinking like as a GM, okay, we all agreed to this like meta plot. How am I, and you, you kind of turn into a slave to it early on. It, it might be easier just to start running stories like, oh, we're, we're in kind of a more like Asian Oriental, that sort of, okay, so I've got ideas that, that, that jump out at me when I think of that kind of backdrop. Yeah. Oh, and, I, and when I'm thinking about like kind of a Norse, you know, fjords and, and it's cold all the darn time. You know, I, okay, I, I have this, these kinds of, okay, just let the GMs do as they will in those three areas. Um, and, um, and then over time, you might end up just by virtue of practice, you end up starting to develop the, what the meta plot is or how it works. Yeah. Now, the other thing, um, but the challenge, and I don't have an initial thought on this yet, is you know, one of the things that, that happens in these living campaigns is that there is someone or there's some group that takes in all this outside, you know, this disparate information and then harmonizes it in some ways and says, okay, this is the, now the chapter has end has ended. Um, now these things have happened. Now it moves forward into this next, you know, some, some other developmental, something happens and, um, and you move forward. So that's a bit of a challenge. I'll push that aside. Now talking about the, the weirdo geography, since this is all made up, <laughs> um, what if you had, uh, I'm thinking of these different, and I, this is corny to call them different lands, like it's Disney World no, or something. You're is. in fantasy yeah. land, in adventure land, in whatever land. No, that's, that's what it is. That's basically <laughs> what, okay, that's fine. Uh, you're in Rift's land. With, no, no, just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> I won't say the other one land. Uh, <laughs> what you could do, like, why do you have to have, the world doesn't have to be a globe. You know, the, the world the world could be flat. The world could be flat and it could be, there could be like treacherous. And I use the word passes very figuratively, mm -hmm. but treacherous, semi, in, semi magical or enchanted, semi uh, mundane and physical uh, means of passage between these worlds or these, these lands rather. And so you, and, and you know the idea you know the world's flat it's on a it's on a cosmic turtle and you can fall off the edge well you can fall off the edge 
I mean, you've got these separate areas. Um, that might be kind of a funky way to to make sense of of these different areas that are that are so distinct from one another, and they're almost like islands, uh, and there's yeah. some kind of connectivity between them. See, one thing that's just crossed my mind, which at the time I didn't really, and this is where things have gone wrong in the past, is thinking of things. Where, so, because we've come at this from, we we come out with this like the idea of the overall world. Yeah, this is yeah. all the stuff. This should be able to play everything we want. If we want to do this kind of fancy, it'd be fine. If we want to do standard fancy, we can do this. It's fine, brilliant. And then we've all gone, what kind of characters were fancy playing? So we've done it from the character point of view, but it means we've ended up with the GMs who weren't interested in those kind of characters running that setting. So essentially, like, you know, I really wanted a an Eastern character and Scott really wanted an Eastern character. Brian didn't. I see. But Brian's going to run that setting. And so right now, I'm just suddenly going, hmm. Although, you know what? That maybe that that's, look, if everyone's on board, yes, you, know, you, guys, are, you a... guys are friends. It's not like someone is going to sabotage, hopefully, the, the works. Maybe that's not so bad. It's more that I'm just thinking that like, you know, like, I, I am I going to be that bothered to run a really generic standard, like maybe urban fantasy thing? Because that's the characters the other two picked. When I really, you know, I don't. I I guess well, I don't know. it's a conversation you know maybe, we need to have. Honestly, maybe that's not so bad. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I I I threw skeletons and kobolds and green slime and some other and a minotaur at my players this this last weekend, and and they were all very happy with it. Maybe that maybe playing to the tropes is not a bad thing because. If over time, and I think this is where you would inject some uh, like pizzazz or sprinkle some what we call sparkle points on top of it, make it sparkly. <laughs> um, guy I used to teach with talked about that. Like if you want an A, your work has to sparkle. There's got to be something special about it. Anyway, and so how do you make it sparkle over time is that, that meta plot, that there's something that, uh, that will join them together. Now, I actually think it'd be more interesting if you have the three parties start out, or rather the three 80s action movie, but like buddy movie duos. That's yeah. what they are. Uh, you have the, the three of them start out, and they have nothing to do with one another, but that the meta plot draws them together, and they see that the things that they've been dealing with are actually related. And that's when the, then the, the, I mean, well, even from the beginning, though, the actions of one group could affect the actions of the other group again the challenge is how do you how do you harmonize those and how do you i think it'd be interesting actually just from a you'd play it and then from a gm perspective think about oh how how would this all make sense now you want to obviously be able to preserve for you the players and the gm in each for each different area a degree of like uh wiggle room for surprise because I think that's fun. I think that's fun sometimes when, I think it's fun a lot of times when you're playing and someone springs a surprise, like either a plot surprise or like an immediate encounter surprise that's interesting. And it's fun as a player, it's fun as a GM to to do that. Um, and with the same group of people, that's that I think would be a bit of a challenge. But um, but yeah, why not just make life easier? Like, And the other thing is you make life easier by not trying to determine this big picture plot because that's where I get screwed up. Like in the past, when I've tried to homebrew a full campaign, you know, when I used to, when I used to accept the pressure of like, we're going to run these characters levels one to 20. And I would 
come up with some or attempt to come up with some kind of campaign idea. And I would start with the biggest picture and start with like the <laughs> end and then try to like, and it just, you, it, it doesn't work. And then also, I mean, like maybe that's how you write a novel, but that's not how yeah. you run a game where other people are, are, are contributing creators as well. Maybe just agree to there's going to be a meta plot that draws everyone together at least in terms of their actions complementing or affecting one another, but you don't have to worry about that right off. And then worry about, I mean, don't worry about even the world building so much. Let it happen. I hate to say this it sounds so corny, but like, let us, let it happen organically. Let it happen naturally by initially playing to the tropes and then the players and GM working it out as you go. I think that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I kind of think that's what we'll probably go. I mean, one of the next things we have to decide is like, like how are we running these adventures? Like, are we going to use any pre-published stuff at all or just wing it? Are we just going to throw monsters at each other? And are we going to do a quick, you know, relationship diet? Or, or what I kind of was hoping is like, like, let's have each of these be different. So let's go, let's go with this Eastern one. Yeah. Let's go down a road of, of houses and we'll do relationship diagrams for that. And then this set, and let's just, let's just, this will just be a dungeon crawl. We'll just make it easier. It'll just be a straight up dungeon crawl. And then we'll progress from there. And then this can be a bit more, you know, it can be a wilderness journey thing. So I think that's kind of the idea. I mean, like, you know, ideally each of these different things will be different. But the thing that's crossing my mind now is like, actually, maybe we should have come from this from a point of, I as a GM would like to run this kind of an adventure all right, so now let's make sure that matches up what we've got because it might be that Scott goes, well, actually, I don't really feel comfortable running something complex with loads of NPCs, but I'm, you know, I've got the monster manual. I would just like to throw monsters at you and, and draw some dungeons on squared paper. All right, okay, well, then let, let's swap. Let's swap the ones that we're going to do and we'll we'll mess around with the characters because you know, coming up with the characters made sense, but now looking at it, I'm thinking, like, oh, actually, no, the hard work isn't coming up with the characters the hard work is being the GM. So let's come up, let's try Let's maybe we should come up with this. How are we going to do the three different GM in first? But we came at it this way. We thought this, you know, th this will make sense initially. Let's come up with some characters that we're interested to play. But now I'm looking at it going, yeah, but now we need to make sure that the GMs will be able to cope with this, which we didn't have time to last session. Um, so I'm glad I've been able to step away and think, right, let's just check this is still going to work. Because if it's not, it's just fine. We haven't done anything yet. But at the end of the day, you know, the characters, like, we, you can knock up characters rarely to, you know, 5e doesn't take long to knock up a character. But even just doing an, even if an adventure just drawn on the back of a, you know, piece of paper is still more effort than it is to make up a character. So I, I think that, I think you've got a couple opportunities. I, I think using, depending on what, you know, pieces and parts of published adventures. Now, the, the trouble with 5e is that most of the published adventures are campaigns they're not adventures like tales from the yawning portal offers you some opportunities because they're they're more modules um and i know that you could lift things from it like uh Icewind dale you could lift some of the adventures that happen in the 10 towns and no, use I think, like, like you said i mean like the the yawning portal is a good example but then there's also yep. um the salt marsh and the new one radiant yeah. whatever yeah, good point. so there, there are ones below. but also you just go like i mean i've I subscribe to some guy called DM Dave name drop who just like drops a free adventure like every single week. I mean, I, I never go. go, I hardly ever look at them. There are so many free and easy to play adventures, but also uh, the other thing to dig back and look at too. And this, this actually my, the session that I ran this last Saturday got me thinking about this is all the first edition adventures Yeah, that even if you can't get a hold of copies, like tracking down a physical copy or scare quotes finding a pdf on or you know what well, i mean you could buy this stuff on on uh on drive-through can't you? you can buy it from dm's guild yeah um yeah. or just finding write-ups 
you find like a, a, a write up of like, oh, yeah, this is what uh, Slave Pits of the Undercity was about. Oh, OK, that's that's great. I don't need the I don't actually need the module, but I've got the idea and I can I can develop that out. You can turn to those. And there's a ridiculous yeah. amount of, of those out there that are definitely shorter in scope and therefore much easier to plug in rather than like it assumes all these setting uh, defaults. I mean, that's why I don't mind, actually, if I end up with a really generic setting, I, I can bust out the squared paper and just fill it with, because I haven't, I haven't got to do it for ages, just drawing, drawing my dungeon, my secret door things and the stairs going up and Alas, down. Yeah. There, there's just some kind of joy. To you know, that's what I did as a kid. For me, that is, and that's actually, when I got that, I was like, I don't mind running this because I, I'd like to just bust out creating some you dungeons. Know, I, and I still have the just, original boxed right. set that my brothers got in the late 70s. And it still has the blue graph paper in it. And it has the original dungeon geomorphs, just these canned bits and pieces of, you know, dungeon. Yeah, everything, every corridor was 10 feet wide. It was like, there's like, you know, there's an international screw thread commission that determines like how wide the screw threads are. It's like there's an international dungeon building committee. No, I'm sorry. You can't have a five foot hall. Sorry, it's 10 feet. 10 feet of work stone. Sorry. Can't fit a knife in between the blocks. I think though that would be that would be cool. The, the, an opportunity, another one that you have is, and I, I think that you were you were saying this. I just want to make sure is that you know you could have if, if one of the three of you wants to run something that's got more like intrigue and a more social side to it, that could be more of a of an element or vibe in one of them. If the one of them is more monster of the week, dungeon crawly. You know, if one if one of the GMs, if one of these, like, I'd like to run something a little more pulpy, you know, swinging from the chandeliers. Yeah, you could do that. I think that was that was part of my idea that I, I we've come through it from like different gone character first, but I think the next thing we have to look at is right, right, what different in what difference, you know, because we kind of looked at setting and we've looked at mechanics to some mm. extent, but yeah, I think we need to start looking at story in terms of. Are we going to make these different stories? You know, are they just going to vary them? But that's certainly next conversation I think we need to have because that will make more. You could put aside the idea of a meta plot drawing the three parties together as a possibility and take the a big – my problem is I overthink everything. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe if you take that burden off yourself completely and put it aside and say, hey, maybe we'll return to that. Maybe instead of assuming that from the jump and, the, and putting the burden on yourself of, well, we got to figure that out somehow – how are these parties going to interact directly or indirectly within the story or with each other? Maybe you run the three separate stories in effect as a, like a, a, a world building exercise. Like as you, yeah. the, each group is building out like a puddle spreading, building out your, one of these regions of the world and whether it's global, a globe, or whether it's like this weirdo thing, like a, you know, Flash Gordon Mongo with like floating rock Island, you know, regions and things like that, whether it's that or who cares, you, you just use it as a world building exercise. And then maybe if it works, like if the adventures are fun, you start to pick out like, Oh, here's something like, here's a truth about, how we treat like magic, something that would be like worldwide yeah. potentially. And then you decide to, oh, we haven't, well, we haven't nailed down that detail in, in this other one. Hey, how would that look here? And you start to import it. And then maybe the, the, the worlds that you develop within this one world start to affect each other. And then if at some point in the future, you know, a couple months down the road, you say, 
all right, this is now we've got an idea that's come up organically, naturally through play. Now we can go ahead and start building connections. No, I think that's a good idea. And I think I, I suspect that's more the way we'll go at the moment rather than trying to yeah. make sure there is connections. I think it's more like let's just let's make sure there's something, you know, there's the chance for something in the background that if we want to start linking it all together. Um what about we can. how are you considering uh scheduling? Like how often are you going to switch between? How do you think you're going to do that? I, th I think that might end up having partly organically, but it will also be time schedules. So, because I, I can already see that like having weeks where we go, right, well, I we finished this adventure. Who's meant to go next week? And Brian goes, oh, I'm really busy at work. I won't be able to do anything over the next week. And so I was, yeah, so am I. And I'm like, well, I've just finished my adventure. I don't want to run these guys again. I want to switch it. So I've already got it in the back of my mind that at some point I'll end up having them create a second set of characters purely so then I can. I can if if I've run through an adventure with one you know one pair of theirs, then I go right. Well, if you guys can't run another one, I'll I'll switch it. But I think Scott seems quite keen to actually go. Well, no, I want to I want to go at these. He, he said he started doing some with his his wife and his two girls, so I suspect he's going to be more keen to try and do it. And Brian has got the time, but somehow just finds other things, things to do. So. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. So it sounds to me like you're. I don't think we'll plan it. I don't think we'll write a schedule that says, yeah, you like you're on this, this week, you're on we this. Do it. But it's, so, but yeah. what I'm saying is it sounds to me like your, your default, like comfort spot for that is each of you would run a discernible adventure. So it yeah. wouldn't be like one week on or two weeks on or something like that. It would be tied to you run an arc of story and, and okay, that arc is put to like, if you were running Conan, the time at which the point at which you go into to carousing, then you'd switch to the next person. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I try and often make sure that an adventure lasts a session, but there's just those times where it doesn't yeah. happen. Like, you know, you think it's going to take two hours and it takes four. And so then I well, need yeah, two players, weeks, players get in the way of, I mean, you know, you have the, exactly. the, the greatest idea in the world and then you, you invite players and they just, they, they just muck it up. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll play that a bit by ear. And there might be sessions where we finish halfway through and go, and someone's already got the next thing ready and we can go straight into it. But I guess we'll, do uh, you see yourself we'll between see. the three of you? doing like actually writing down like maybe using a shared document to build out these worlds or these these regions over based on play yeah i think this is the one funny thing that we had is that actually this was easy when we were all sitting at computers separately now yeah. we're all in we're all there together we're like writing things down on a giant i can't what size it is a three so a I say too. I bought this massive big sheet of paper. I used it for relationship diagram in Vampire, and then I've used it for. It's a big pad, and then I used it for the the map in Conan, and now we're using it for our world building in this. But it means things are written on a paper, which yeah. is not ideal. So yeah, at some point we'll have to start transferring it to uh, to you know like Word doc. Well, that we use it on Google. We got a Google Doc for it. It's got then there's there's a slides thing, and there's already a document in there. With yeah. It's a case of keeping to transfer so yeah i think we'll try you know that's where the characters will go so yeah I, ideally a lot of it will end up going digital which will make it easier to keep track of partly for like the reason you said but it's like when we're doing things in a session i know people will be like i can imagine brian doing everything on on computer but scott likes doing everything on paper and when i'm writing adventures i tend to just i prefer to do things it depends but like i'm doing an adventure i could do it on the computer i just prefer doing it on paper mm. so a lot of stuff will end up being on paper which will be a complete pain in the ass. Yeah, we'll see. Because I, I think that it would be it would be neat as you build these things out, you know, and to to catalog it. 
so that if it gets to the point, if you achieve like a creative critical mass and investment critical mass from all three of you, you go, oh, this is cool. Okay, now let's let's add this connective layer over the top of it, and you haven't forgotten things. I mean, a shared document would be nice. Uh, you could probably go find some free wiki service that you could all peck away at, and and you could draw shabby maps like your great junior or like middle school maps, you know, on on like a notebook paper, and then scan them. <laughs> Or take photos of them and upload them. No, I think there's definitely stuff we're going to have to have either scanning or taking photos of things because that's going to be a yeah. lot easier than uh, putting it back up. Um, I, I mean, look, I've got reasonable mapping software, so that's more access cool. to it. So that's uh, from anyway, for my maps, that'll be fine. I don't know about the others. But yeah, I don't know. I have no idea how it's going to end up. So we might well get, I think, I kind of feel like we'll be okay running between sort of January, February, March, and into April. And then maybe after that, I suspect that we might want to break or to do something else you know what though you you think about this i I think you're timing this well because i know that you you get inspired by the 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 new shiny thing we all do and the new shiny thing that's coming is the dnd movie which is at the end of march yeah so if you guys ride the creative and motivational wave early into next month that is into january and you get going with something you start doing things that that energy and that initial interest, the new girlfriend interest, will uh, <laughs> will be there, and then the D and D movie will come out, and will, you know, will hopefully inspire you to new levels of greatness. Yeah, that's the plan. Do you have any any ideas at this point of any sorts of uh, rules, hacks, or uh, home like house rules that you think? I mean, not necessarily because I know that the the setting is not. The setting is in the stories haven't been nailed down so much, but is there anything that's out there like, oh, if I ran 5e again, I would like to include this house rule? Yeah, I think the way I, I, I whether we throw in house rule, I mean, the one thing that we used the last time we played it, we tend to use the the Pathfinder style crit so that rather than only critting on a crook 20, we've been playing for ages that if you beat the AC by 10, you you crit, which means we get way more crits because it's very easy to build characters that are optimized. But we've been doing that. We did that the whole way through Strad anyway. So that's that's not that's just something we're like we're in the habit of doing. Um, whether I bring in some of the weird stuff I did with dice and things, I think I ended up, we found them fiddly last time, so it didn't. In character creation, not so much character creation. The kind of things I'd like to bring in is I the last time we did we well one of the last times we started a homebrew thing is I kind of had like living. I guess living we- living magical weapons, the kind of thing where actually like you you start with some kind of magic item slash thing at level one, which then levels up as you do. Right. Okay. So like I think I you know I think we, one of the characters had like a magic hammer, and so at level one it was just like a plus one to hit, and then at level two it's like plus one to hit and damage. But then it was starting to do like an extra damage dice and you know things like that. So rather than always having to be on the hunt for a magic item, you've got this magic item already. And like the other character, I think had like a magic suit of armor, which again, at level one was probably just plus one AC against, you know, I don't know, ranged weapons. And then it was plus one AC full stop. And then it's, you can just expand. Like, I, I like that as an idea. So rather than having to kind of, because that whole thing of the, you know, the D&D never feels like the real, you know, you never see people in literature be like, oh, wow, I found this. All right, okay. Admittedly, yes, Bilbo has found the magic ring on an adventure. He has. But, but he doesn't up, go know. out and find the magic. He doesn't get Sting. 
And then a while later, he's like, ah, this is a piece of crap. I'm going yeah. to get a better one. I'm going like to upgrade that, my that girlfriend never here. Like, he you know, never, never, never does that. Yeah. Occasionally people like lose a magic weapon and then they replace it. But people but never different. went like, that's I'm going to take that, this magic weapon to the magic weapon shop and sell it and get this better one, you know? and Like that, I had kids and I have to get rid of the coop. Nobody yeah. does that. So having having weapons, which, you know, either it's a quest to get the weapon and that weapon's a big deal, or you have a thing which just then gets better and there's a reason to always keep it. I, I kind of like that. as You know what you could do too is you could, a character finds something early on, recovers it, takes it, whatever's it, you know, however they end up with it. And then, it, but, it, but it's of a, it's a, treated like an artifact that mm. has multiple um, ability. It, ha, it has a lot of potential and has multiple powers. And the, those unlock over time as the character yeah. grows. But you could even tie that to the story, like, you know, some kind of a, yeah. a quest to find out how to unlock. Or yeah. you realize through experience, like, under what circumstances does does it unlock? Like, you know, you have, I don't know, some kind of item... And your character falls off a cliff and realizes that it has feather fall built into it. Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> Not something you would test out, you know. Um, <laughs> but you could you could tie those together. I would much prefer that rather than just disposable, uh, you know, disposable magic junk made in China. Because that's yeah. what I mean. It's, it's like a totally different thing. You could run a campaign, right? All our treasure is going to be utterly random. And so we might be lucky and get the good stuff and we might just get rubbish and we'll just use the tables and it takes longer to do it. But, you know, sometimes it's fun or we can just go, right, we're not doing that. We're going to get sensible amounts of money and payments and things which are, you know, all done in advance. We're not, it's not going to be random. Um, I remember one of the last times that I r attempted to run like 5e long period, long term, I had a player get really torqued at me because I, I decided to roll. I was nice. I, I didn't just roll completely randomly, but but in terms of like category of magic item, I, I rolled within the categories I had chosen randomly. And he's like, well, my character doesn't use that kind of sword. I'm like, you can't freaking mail order this crap. You know, it's not like the Amazon driver shows up and you're like wrong color. And then they bring you a free one. Anyway, anyway, minor D&D ran over. Well, that, yeah, that is the, the thing with it. You know, you've got these random tables, but if you use them and stick to them, then what you end up with is a bunch of crap that no one wants. Or one guy gets like, oh, cool, I've got a hammer and I had a hammer already, so I still get to use a hammer. Yeah, anyone else like... Or they right. end up with something that they, they have to figure out how to sell. Yeah. Or they, they end up with something... Now, this is something I have never done, but they end up with something that then word gets around that they have it, and someone who mm. does want it comes either looking for them, wants to buy it from them or trade for it, or wants to take it from them. Yeah, it's exactly that kind of, you know, stuff you think, well, but, you know, it's an option. Do we want to go sure, for sure. we're just going to roll? I mean, so when, when me and Brian were doing like a GM-less kind of thing, that is what we did. But then we were just, everything was random. The yeah. plot was random. What was happening was random. The, everything we did was random other than our character's choices. So then it was fine to have completely random yeah. stuff. But, you know, ideally there's no real reason for that. So house rules wise, you're just looking at the crits right now uh, that, i think the one bro, thing that you say you more than likely will include which i think yeah i think at this point it's kind of like i think we we just forget that isn't a rule because it's like yeah. that's kind of how we played d and well me and brian anyway have we played kind of D, D that way for about the last year so if we 
tried to take that out, we'd be like, wait a minute, are we using that rule? Where it's where, where we always get a bit fuzzy is whether we're using that for the NPCs or not. But then it doesn't bother me when people again, like people are like, oh, balance. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't really mind if the PCs are having a power fantasy because they're still going to get creamed by some big monster right. at some point. And I only have two PCs. So, you know, you might as well give them a little, you got to give them a little bit of exactly. So otherwise if, and the the trouble too, and we've talked about balance and encounters before we have an episode about that with only two players, it's, it will be difficult to construct 5e encounters. So you want to have a thumb on the scale a little bit to help the players. And that's actually part of the thing I actually crossed my mind about going, right, we've come up with characters we really want to play, but do these need to be PCs? Because they could just be NPCs. And then actually we could have done it that way. I could have gone, right, everyone pick a piece, a, a character you really want to play as, and then one you just want to exist, but you don't care whether you play it or not, because there may be that, you know, we have a, every every pair has, or some of the pairs have a GM PC. Now, Scott might be like, well, I don't want to run. I don't want to run an adventure and have to worry about a fully fledged character. Whereas I'm like, well, I don't bother. I do that all the time. So it doesn't phase me. So, and that way I might yeah. go, right, I'm going to run the Eastern stuff because I feel like I can do that world better, but I, then I get to have my cool character that I want to be in. There. And it's not like they're going to take the main focus, but yeah, yeah. You know, make them the princess and, you know, we we'll just do Star Wars. I've got the princess Leia character. You guys are Han and Leia, Luke. Save my princess. Oh, that sounds cool. I think it's it's a it's a challenge. It's definitely a unique way to to approach things. I mean, it's one thing to just say, "Hey, within our group of players, we're gonna we're gonna trade off GM duties," but there's no connection. Uh, I think it's a cool idea. I think world building as as an idea, as like a creative endeavor, especially with other people, is is uh, cool. And it's hard sometimes. I found this where I've attempted to world build, and I mean like the whole darn thing. And then someone says, wait, this would be better. Like, I'd, I'd like this better. Change this. And you've got that moment where you had to think, but it's my world. Or what I love is when you put, you put aside the ego and you go, oh, my goodness, I hadn't thought about that. What a cool idea. And so that cooperative world building, I think, can be really exciting, um, like I said, as a creative endeavor. So maybe if, if I were to hazard advice, I'd say initially I thought, some kind of meta plot would make sense. I say put that on the shelf as just a possibility and instead use this as an opportunity to world build uh, without that burden and then see if it comes up. And if, and my guess is that if it does come up, it'll come up in a way that everyone will look at each other and go, oh yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Right. I think that's easier. And then you can shape mechanics in response to the, the sorts of things as you world build. And you think, well, I think our world should feel like X. The rules don't do X. So we need to push the rules in that direction. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm going to follow up with you on this in a couple of weeks and see what progress you've made. Because as far as I'm concerned, you've, you've said you're going to do it. So now you have to. Yeah, well, this is the plan. I can't see this changing our, our minds now unless like, I don't know. I can't think of, yeah, we should be able to get on with it. Just trying to meet and actually make the characters and decide cool. who's going first will probably be the main thing. Cool. All right. I like it. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.